And welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. Tonight, in honor of Earth Day, we are featuring an interview about the proposed Thacker Pass lithium mine near the Oregon-Nevada border. It's sacred ground known as Pahimaha to indigenous people fighting for their rights and sovereignty. On tonight's show, we'll get an update on the proposed lithium mine with our special guests, Vashon Eben, cultural resources specialist and tribal historic preservation officer for the Reno Sparks Indian Colony, and Will Falk, attorney, organizer, and co-founder of Protect Thacker Pass. We'll also hear some music from The Man Killers, a native all-woman group that performs traditional powwow music in the northern tradition. And we'll kick off the show with a short announcement about a planned action in Antioch supporting an FBI and a Contra Costa County DA's investigation into the Antioch and Pittsburgh Police Departments. That's tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin, coming to you from right here in downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, and again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Feeble and Franklin, and I am the host tonight. And to kick off the show tonight, I wanted to bring you an update on a planned action that's taken place 4 p.m. Saturday, April 30th, right out here in Antioch. Reimagine Antioch, Conscious Contra Costa, and Together We Stand are organizing a speak-out at the Antioch Police Department. This comes on the heels of the announcement that the Antioch and Pittsburgh Police Departments are under investigation from the Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office and the FBI for crimes of moral turpitude. Activists say there is no surprise that this investigation is happening. They have been protesting and having demonstrations in Antioch since 2010, calling out the brutality and violence perpetrated upon some citizens of the town. So again, that's Saturday, April 30th, 4 p.m. at the Antioch Police Department. That's 300 L Street in downtown Antioch, near the corner of L Street and 4th Streets in downtown Antioch. Look for more information coming up on next week's episode of Full Circle. Also, keep an ear out next week during Hard Knock Radio and Flashpoints for more information. You can also follow Together We Stand Conscious Contra Costa and Reimagine Antioch on Facebook to stay updated on the details. 
All right, yeah, stay tuned for more information next week. Real quick, a big shout out to everyone who donated last week during KPFA's birthday and full circle. You know, we always appreciate it. Now, coming up tonight, in honor of Earth Day, we'll be talking about indigenous resistance again as land defenders legally maneuver to protect sacred space in the, in the Nevada-Oregon border. I'm speaking of the proposed Thacker Pass lithium mine that would be desecrating sacred land of the Shoshone and Paiute Indians. Right now, the White House is pushing for electric vehicles to become at least 50% of sales by 2030, and that has put a premium on electric cars and their components, such as batteries and the lithium that they're made of. Of course, most of that lithium is locked up deep underground on indigenous lands, and to extract that lithium is very environmentally destructive. Let's turn now to my interview with Mishan Eben, who is the Cultural Resource Specialist and Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. She is joined by Will Falk, who is an attorney and the co-founder of the Protect Thacker Pass protest camp. Will is also representing the Reno Sparks Indian Colony in litigation against this proposed mine. All right, everyone, welcome back to Full Circle. This is Free Will and Franklin, your host tonight. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. And now I want to bring us back and get an update on the proposed lithium mine up in northern Nevada near the Oregon border. This proposed mine is called Thacker Pass Lithium Mine. But Fort McDermott, Paiute, Shoshone, and other tribal people near the land call it Pihimuha. Their connection to the land is historical, it's documented, and it's sacred, and they have vowed to protect it. This story has been covered numerous times on KPFA, including flashpoints up front, it's going down, and of course, right here on Full Circle. Now, according to an NS Energy report, if brought to fruition, Thacker Pass lithium mine would be the biggest lithium deposit in the U.S. being developed by Lithium Nevada. They say they expect it to have a mine life of 46 years if it's created. It would be an open pit mine, which is very destructive to the environment on a massive scale. So joining us tonight are two guests, uh, Mashan Eben, Reno Sparks Indian Colony's cultural resource resources specialist and tribal historic preservation officer also joining us is will falk will is an attorney organizer and co-founder of protect thacker pass a protest camp that was set up on the site of the proposed mine he is also representing the reno sparks indian colony in their litigation against the proposed thacker pass mine welcome Mashan. thank you for having us yeah and welcome will Really happy to be here. Thanks for taking an interest in the story. Yeah, definitely. This is something that we've been following, uh, not only on Full Circle, but KPFA, as I mentioned, has been on top of this. So it's great to get back and get an update because I keep trying to follow the news on your Facebook and other sites. And the last time we checked in about the Thacker Pass lithium mine, um, work hadn't yet begun on what they called the cultural mitigation digs. And you all were trying to prevent those digs from happening. There was protest outside the offices 
of far western anthropological research group the, the group that would go out into the area and actually dig up the earth and as i understand it now the mitigation digs have started so i'd like to start there Michon, can you remind our listeners what is a cultural mitigation dig or survey? And then tell us, has the digging started? You know, what has taken place on the lands out there and what was removed? Okay, sure. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna share a couple things with you. First of all, mitigation is just a, a nice word um, that is, is is put on these projects to make it seem like it's a nice thing. Oh, we're mitigating um, the historic properties, um, and then we're gonna treat those historic properties. But mitigation really is a um, a sanction looting and grave robbing of the Paiute people. That is my personal belief. I want to go back and tell you a little bit about how a cultural resource inventory takes place. It's part of, um, you know, this whole project is based on some federal laws, NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, that assesses the environment of this project's um, that this project may have um, that may affect the environment. It also is um, another law is the National Historic Preservation Act that the NHPA um, assesses the historic properties. Historic properties are buildings, objects, anything past, um, anything 50 years or older. And so of course that includes Native American cultural resources. So when a project proponent comes in and is um, determining their project, they do have to assess the environment environment as well as the historic properties. So a cultural resources firm, an archaeological firm, is hired to come in and they survey the project area. And um, and they also survey, they could um, survey not only the project area, but outside of the project area so many feet. Um, and so after they conduct their survey, they're not collecting at that time, they're surveying, they're walking the land, the archaeological firm, and then um, they're, they're deciding and, and determining um, based on what they see on the ground, they're determining what is out there. And in their minds, they're thinking how they're going to write up this report. So they survey. Um, and after they survey, well, when they're out there surveying, they're flagging cultural items. And then after that, they, um, they write a, a draft cultural resources inventory or a technical report. And then that report is sent to the federal land managers, archeological archeologists, and they begin to review um, and respond and add to that draft. Or, um, and then during this time, Tribal tribal communities need to be involved from the very beginning. They need to be out there knowing which archaeological firm has been contracted to be out there. Um, Native people need to be participating in that survey. Native American people need to be um, um, reviewing and responding to that draft report along with the, the federal archaeologist. And then after the report is authored, um, then it becomes a final report, all which should be reviewed again by Native American tribes, federally recognized tribes. Um, after that report comes out, they determine what type of um, historic properties are going to be affected. And then they need to, I guess, mitigate that effects of which co those cultural properties. So there's going to be Native American sites. Um, and that's what the cultural report is going to provide for you. And then after that, th th those reports have to be approved by the State Historic Preservation Office because that's part of the law. Um, and then also um, tribes should be participating in that. 
yeah, yeah. Clear us up. Where are we now in that process with you all over there and what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. So um, a, a historic properties treatment plan was authored by Far Western, and that treatment plan says what they're going to do. BLM has provided their Archaeological Resources Protection Act permit, as well as a field work authorization permit. Um, and so what hap- what's happening out there right now is we understand that procedures have begun. And what they're going to be doing is, um, well, what I don't what I think is happening out there right now is that there's been some studies, no matter a geomorphological study. That's what I assume is happening out there. And they're, this study is they're um, taking soil um, samples and um, samples from the dirt because they're trying to determine um, through the landscape of, of this area what the, where they're going to be putting their excavation units to, to begin to excavate um, thousands of thousands thousands of Native American cultural resources. So they have received their permits legally, and that is why the Reno Sparks Indian Colony released a press release along with our letter to Far Western Anthropological Research Group. All right. So do you know if they actually have started um, digging um, yes, they have dug because when they are doing, I believe what they, I think they're doing as a geomor- geomorphological study is they have to, they came out with a bulldozer um, and a, a a tractor, a bulldozer came out and they have to, so they're digging. I should know what's going on and I'm, I have to tell you this and your listeners because BLM is failing to conduct government to government consultation with the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. I should be, they should be telling us what's going on out there. I had to continuously for the last five months, I believe, four to five months, ask BLM, um, have you received a schedule from the archaeological firm? When are you going to, when are you going to um, provide the field work authorization? Um, and I've asked them this continuously. And only until a week ago, I asked the same questions. Did they respond in one, a week later, just a few days ago, stating, oh, I'm sorry, Michonne. Um, yeah, they've provided a schedule. And pretty much that's all they said. They didn't say they got a field work authorization. They should be telling us if they were really cons- um, conducting meaningful government to government consultation, I would know exactly what's going on out there. But that's the failure of the BLM. All right. Well, before we bring in Will to get a little bit more on these these laws that are there per- to protect us, um, are you the tribal liaison that is supposed to be present and was anybody present from your organization at these um, current excavations? No, I am not the tribal liaison that is to be out there. And I want to tell you why that is. First of all, there was a, and we'll talk about it because I know that's one of your questions, but there was a horrible, two horrible massacres that occurred out in this area. One of them through the Paiute oral histories and one of them that um, that is well documented of the September 12th, 1865 massacre. And we're going to talk about that. The Reno Sparks Indian Colony Cultural Resource Program does not send tribal monitors in a space where we know Native American ancestral remains are. We just don't do that. That's why we wrote the letter and described the fails of BLM um, according to the Native American Graves Protection Repatriation Act and um, their Archaeological Resources Protection Act failure to notify us because they have well documentation that there was a massacre out there. So um, no, I am not the tribal liaison that's going out there and um, I'm not sending, the Reno Park Indian Colony is not sending 
sending tribal monitors out there when we know there are ancestral remains out there. All right. Well, then who are they taking out there that they're considering a tribal liaison? Is that person handpicked by the tribal colony group or is that person handpicked by Lithium Nevada? That's for you, Michon. still. You know, um, to give a little background about tribal monitoring, you know, archaeological firms, they use BLM when they're doing their conducting their appropriate consultation. They're letting the tribes know that, hey, if, you know, the archaeological firms that that is out there, then, you know, do you do you want to send tribal monitors or tribes are demanding that, hey, we need native people out there with these archaeological firms. So no matter if there's one tribe out there representing, there is 27 tribes and bands in the state of Nevada and one tribal member from one tribe um, is really not representing all those tribes and I'm only talking about the state of Nevada now we also have um, Paiute northern Paiute people in the state of Oregon so um, that's a lot of tribes so one tribal member that may or may not be out there um, and put out there by one tribe of you know all these tribes I you just named called out for 27 tribes, um, they are not representing all all of these tribes. Definitely. And then we've seen throughout history how certain governmental organizations would pull in a friendly quote unquote chief or somebody that would then sign a document that would give away land or rights to a whole entire people. And there's a lot of uh, laws in place to prevent that at the time the tribes are working that. Um, well, let's bring in Will to get us a little bit more on some of the laws that um, Michonne did mention, uh, the Native American Graze Protection and Repatriation Act. And I believe that one was was NIPA. I'm not sure on the, the words for that one. But Will, remind us the laws that govern this type of culturally sensitive work and um, tell our listeners about these protective measures and are they being followed or violated? Yeah, there's essentially um, three uh, federal laws that are at issue here. And um, the, the first one, uh, Michonne explained a little bit, the National Historic Preservation Act. Um, and the, the National Historic Preservation Act was a law that was passed because Congress recognized that as industrial development um, was destroying more and more of the land in the United States, which which is something that has only int- intensified over the years. Um, it's not something that has actually slowed down over the years. Um, they they enacted this law to make sure that government agencies fully considered the effects of of projects on um, historic properties that are are significant to American history. Um, they all the law also includes uh, traditional cultural properties. Um, as as a subset that that forces government agencies to consult with with tribes about these traditional cultural properties and sacred sites, but the National Historic Preservation Act obligates federal agencies to consult with any Indian tribe that attaches religious or cultural significance to a project area, regardless of the project's location. Um, so one of the things that federal agencies like to do, like they have done in, in the Thacker Pass situation, is they like to isolate one tribe, like one tribe close to the project area, for example, and try to bolster up this tribe as, as the tribe that is, is speaking for all Native Americans. But the National Historic Preservation Act recognizes that in a, in a lot of places, there are many tribes that are um, in proximities to these projects. And there are many tribes with members who 
whose ancestors were removed over far distances um, that that you know there may be a, there may be tribes in the state of Washington, for example, with um, uh, members that have ancestors that were killed in that September 12th, 1865 Thacker Pass massacre um, that Michonne was talking about. And the law contemplates that and says, you know, if even if it, because the American government um, forcibly removed native peoples so far away in many instances, um, then any tribe that that claims a, a significance in this in this in these project areas should be consulted. Um, so that's the first law, the National Historic Preservation Act, and I'll, I'll circle back and explain whether I think these laws have been um, um, followed or not. I guess the, the, you know, fair warning, of course they weren't followed, that's why we're in this lawsuit, but um, the, the, second tri the second law um, that, that Michonne and, and you have also mentioned is the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. Uh, which obligates federal agencies with um, very intensive um, consultation procedures with uh, tribes and lineal descendants of any um, human remains of, of Native American ancestors uh, in, in a project area. So the, the September 12th, 1865 massacre, um, there were between 31 and 70 Paiute men, women, and children um, uh, surprised, ambushed, and, and murdered in, in Thacker Pass. Um, the, the soldiers' own reports say that they did not uh, actually go and, and search out those bodies to, to bury them or bring them together and burn them like they sometimes did. Um, they, they just left the bodies out there to, to rot. Um, there's also, um, and this is this is really atrocious, but there are newspaper articles reporting on the September 12, 1865 massacre um, that talk about how it's, it was well known at this time by vigilantes and, and American soldiers that oftentimes uh, a Native American would get shot and um, would wander a mile or two away from, from where he or she was shot to die. Um, and in fact, one newspaper article explains that um, everyone knows that, that these Indians can take, quote unquote, an astonishing amount of lead before they crawl off and die. And the significance of that is that these massacre sites are, are, not, are not very limited. They're, they're wide areas. If, if somebody, if, if 70 people get shot and even just a few of them wander off a mile or two away, you're talking about a pretty big size massacre site. Um, so, so BLM did not initiate the, the NAGPRA consultation process like they were supposed to, despite it being very likely that there, there are human remains in the area. The third uh, major law, and this one is, is normally considered more of an environmental law, it's called the National Environmental Policy Act, which obligates federal agencies to consider all the impacts on the environment, both natural and man-made, um, when issuing permits for these kinds of projects. Uh, and the National Environmental Policy Act is where you get documents like the final environmental impact statement. Um, but Native American religious concerns and Native American cultural concerns are supposed to be analyzed in in the documents that NEPA requires, like um, the final environmental impact statement. So um, no, these, these laws uh, were not followed and they were violated. 
Um, but it's important to understand that none of these laws um, say that federal agencies can't cite a mine on top of the most sacred place in the world to Native Americans. Uh, none of these laws say they can't cite a mine uh, on, a, on a place that's going to harm endangered species. It simply says that they have to consider the effects. So they have to, they have to give the public an opportunity to, to vocalize their concerns. Um, or, or for Native American tribes, they have to give Native American tribes an opportunity to vocalize their concerns. But there's nothing in the laws that require the, the agencies to actually listen to the tribes or to the public. Um, and so the, the reason I'm making this point is that the only thing that the Reno Sparks Indian Colony um, is asking for, and in fact, the only thing that the Reno Sparks Indian Colony is legally allowed to ask for is that they, they be allowed to consult. And of course, consultation is not consent in the United States. So it, it, it does not matter if, if the tribes all sat there and told BLM, absolutely not, you cannot do this project. The agencies are still allowed to do that. I thought it might be a little bit shocking for your listeners to understand that, that um, you know, even though there's a, a law called the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, um, it doesn't really protect those graves. It just provides a process for, for who to give those remains to. Um, the National Historic Preservation Act doesn't really preserve historic properties. It just forces the government to document when they're destroying those properties. And I just think it's really important that listeners understand that so that they understand how uh, radically pro-mining and, and pro-industrial development American law really is. Definitely. And we didn't even really get into the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People and former uh, prior informed consent and all that. So I'm sure you're having a, uh, a legal battle. All right. You are listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I am your host tonight, Freewell and Franklin, and that voice you just heard was Will Falk. He is the co-founder of the Protect Thacker Pass protest camp. He is also an attorney representing the Reno Sparks Indian Colony in the fight against a proposed lithium mine set to desecrate the sacred lands of Pahimaha. Joining him is Mishan Eben. She is the Cultural Resources Specialist and Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. In just a moment, we'll get back into the conversation, but let's take a short music break. This is The Man Killers, an all-woman native drum group that performs traditional powwow music. Check it out on KPFA.
All right, welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM. This is KPFA and KPFA.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. That song you just heard was The Man Killers, an all-woman drum group that performs powwow music in the Northern tradition. The Man Killers get their name from Wilma Mankiller, who is honored and recognized as the first female principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. Now I want to bring back my special guest, first, Michonne Eben. She is the cultural resource specialist and the tribal historic preservation officer for the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. She is joined by Will Falk, who is an attorney and the co-founder of the Protect Thacker Pass protest camp. He is representing the Reno Sparks Indian Colony in litigation against the proposed Thacker Pass lithium mine. Let's rejoin the conversation as Michonne Eben gives us a little history on where the Thacker Pass lithium mine would be built. The local indigenous tribes call the place Pihimaha, and it's sacred to them. We've been talking about massacres and um, people being killed and wandering off and dying. And maybe I should have asked this earlier on because it's been coming up so much. But, um, Michonne, if you can remind our listeners some of the history of this area that we've been touching on as we go um, throughout this interview, why is this um, vast area considered sacred to all the indigenous peoples of that area? What's out there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Pihimaha, which is Thacker Pass, is um, an important traditional cultural place because not only do we continue to go there to gather medicines, to go there and to pray, to go there and conduct ceremonies, um, that's how important this place is. Also for hunting and gathering, we were out there just gathering very important medicines that helped us during the pandemic. These places are important. And it's also important because of we know our oral our oral histories tell us that there are our ancestral human remains out there. And I want to talk a little bit about that. There was actually two massacres um, that we are told about in our oral histories. One that happened um, before contact through another warring tribe coming in and massacring some women and children that were um, that were there, there alone. And then the second one, of course, that is fully documented that Will had brought up um, previously that on September 12th, 1865, the Nevada Calvary, sanctioned by the United States government, were um, massacring um, Paiute and Shoshone people, well, all Great Basin indigenous people from the years 1864-1868, right before the um, 1872 mining law was established. Um, but what happened on September 12, 1865, was it was a surprise attack by the Nevada Calvary coming in early, early dawn of the morning. Now imagine that. I mean, try to put yourself back 150 years ago you're sleeping in your traditional home you know your family you have your husband you have your children you have your family members there and all of a sudden here comes this attack with horses coming the cavalry they're shooting and they're killing our people just not did not just just lay there and accept it they all got up and ran and they ran they're running and i'm dying within the project area the current project area and our ancestors were not allowed to go back and bury our dead because if 
um, by that time, Paiute and Shoshone people are being shot on site. So we, none of our ancestors were able to go back and bury their dead ancestors in a traditional manner that our people have. And we, we carry these ceremonies today um, and how we bury our dead. And so our dead are up there still because we were not allowed to go rebury them in a traditional manner. Now, like Will said, um, we have at least nine sources that document this massacre um, through newspaper articles, through the BLM in their own their own archival documents that this massacre occurred out there. And um, back three, well, two weeks after the massacre in 1865, the Owyhee avalanche had recorded that this massacre did occur. And then three years after 1865, a federal land surveyor was out there and he reported and documented, which BLM did have, that there was still um, Native American skulls and remains laying around out in this area. He was out there surveying and mapping. So this massacre did take place. Um, this place is important. So that's why this place is sacred. That's why this place is a traditional cultural property. And that's why we are fighting so hard to protect this area, because we know that we have our ancestral remains out there. We know that our animals are out there. We know that not only do we hunt for these animals, but the animals need a place to stay and live. And also that our medicines are out there and that we still conduct ceremonies out there. We don't advertise our ceremonies or when we're going to go out there and pick our medicines, our traditional medicines, because, you know, there's going to be some people say, oh, they don't use that area. Well, because we don't advertise this area. Not only is this place so important and sacred that we have golden eagles that live out there. And in fact, this month, April 2022, the United States Fish and Wildlife Services has just released, provided a permit to Lithium Nevada it's called an eagle take permit that because of their mind may be disturbing the eagles and their nest that they're allowed to take those eagles and disrupt their nest and disrupt their eggs. This Thacker Pass, Pahimaha, is an important sacred area to indigenous people and Americans should be appalled of what's happening out here. Wow, definitely. That just just the thought of that sounds terrible. Someone uh, taking an eagle from its nest and it's separating it from an their eggs it just seems like you know kind of what this country's been founded on i feel like since the inception i was just talking about this the other day is the child separation um in all forms we see as our winged creatures as well um, will be disturbed disrupted removed and that's something we didn't cover a lot in this interview yet but the um the wildlife the grouse um so much sacredness out there in the forms of our four-legged winged creatures our insects well let me move on a little bit here will what's going on here in the courts because this is a legal battle and will work be held up during litigation we know that you know most instances work will usually continue as though nothing's going on and the desecration will begin or continue but what is the legal strategy that you're um, you're safe to share on the air? Where are you in the process? And what will become of any construction, exploration, or any of that while litigation takes place? First, uh, no uh, work will not be held up during the litigation. There's actually two tries at preliminary injunctions against uh, uh, archaeological digs or other construction happening while litigation was going on. 
under American law, um, because you are not found to have violated the law until a court rules that you violated the law, um, just the mere act of filing a lawsuit against a, a mine like this does not have the legal effect of stopping uh, construction. Um, so what you have to do is you have to file for what's called a preliminary injunction, which is just a court order um, saying that you can't do any of this construction until until the court has actually made a ruling. Um, so first, uh, the, the environmental plaintiffs, there's four environmental groups involved in this lawsuit too. Uh, they moved for a preliminary injunction in July and their injunction was was denied. Uh, and then we moved for one um, just a couple days after theirs was denied, um, arguing more of a Native American rights angle. And our preliminary injunction was also denied. Uh, so right now, the archaeological digs that are happening are, uh, they have every legal right to do that right now. And there's, there's not much we can do to stop it legally. But that being said, all the plaintiffs, the, um, the people opposing the mine, um, we filed our uh, what are called motions for summary judgment a couple we weeks ago. Summary judgment is the culmination of a, of a case like this. It's kind of like the trial um, in, in a murder case, let's say. Um, and the, the judge will make, um, make a ruling on whether or not to vacate the Thacker Pass Mines uh, permits um, based off of uh, our motions for summary judgment. It actually takes a little bit of time, so the, the judge probably will not be making a, a ruling on these uh, permits until the end of July or early August at the earliest. Uh, and because we do not have that preliminary injunction in place, um, we we cannot get the court to step in and and stop the archaeological digs. And it's it's a real shame because if the judge does in fact rule for any one of the plaintiffs, uh, you know, Reno Sparks Indian Colony or the environmental plaintiffs, she could say that they illegally permitted the the mine, and yet there will have already been damage done by those archaeological digs. So yeah, that that's where we're at right now. We're we're waiting on a, a ruling, um, probably the end of July, early August at the earliest, and it could be into late August or September uh, before that ruling is made. All right, and like a lot of indigenous folks and their supporters, like yourself, will there's a person that has risen in our system that we have been reaching towards and raising up, and that is Deb Holland, the first Native American to be Secretary of the Interior, a department within the federal government that's usually responsible for the um, the theft of the land, the legal uh, terminology and theft for the land or the legal um, reasoning for the theft and desecration of Native lands. I guess I would ask this for uh, Michonne or Will, any word from Deb Holland and have you reached out to her? Um, since we've been in this campaign to protect Thacker Pass, um, we have been CCing the Department of Interior 
um, Secretary of Interior, Deb Holland, in our correspondences. Um, and Will could probably talk a little bit more about um, the lawsuit, but because it's uh, BLM is under the Department of Interior, her name is mentioned in our legal briefs. And so we've done our best to try to reach out in any way that we can um, in, in, in CCing her in our correspondences. She did visit Southern Nevada. Um, that's the Las Vegas area um, a few months back back, um, but she has not reached out to us or contacted um, the tribes in, in this area to talk about Thacker Pass. Yeah, Will, what can Deb Holland do for us here in this case? Well, um, that's a really good way to put the question because Deb Holland is, is actually this, the boss of BLM, the Department of the Interior. Uh, controls the Bureau of Land Management. The Bureau of Land Management is an agency within the Department of the Interior. So what theoretically could Deb Holland do? Well, she could step in and, and, and halt the project and force BLM to, to go back and clear up all the mistakes that it made when permitting the project the first time. Um, you know, she could do other things like um, try and, and permanently protect a place like Thacker Pass. But again, that's a theoretical could. We, we need to be realistic here. The Department of the Interior uh, manages uh, American public lands. American public lands are the primary source of, of mining profits in the American economy. And if anyone thinks that uh, Joe Biden nominated and brought Deb Holland along as, as the leader of the Department of the Interior to interfere with his green so-called green energy policies, I, I, I think think you might need to re-examine your, your understanding of how the American government works. In, in my opinion, Deb Holland is, a, is, a, is just a brilliant uh, neoliberal uh, move, a, a, a woman that was nominated precisely to make people think that Native Americans will now be heard because, of course, a Native American is now the head of the Department of the Interior. Uh, but that's, that's just not going to happen in any meaningful way. The Department of the Interior is not going to stand in the way of, of broader, bigger economic policies, um, and that's just not that's just not how Amer- the American government works. Definitely, and you mentioned the uh, the president and their, you know, policy. We got the war in Ukraine happening right now. Um, gas prices across the country have been gouged or spiked, however you want like to put it. Uh, a lot has been discussed lately. EV cars, uh, electric vehicles are definitely part of our future. The White House has mentioned goals for EV cars, wanting them to be 50% of all cars sold or shares of cars sold by 2030. I guess I would bring this to uh, Michonne. What do you think this means for tribal lands and people like Reno Sparks Indian colonies and their, their lands? Well, a couple things. Um, you know, I think that um, um, if we're going to tote um, electric cars as a solution and as green energy, and we're going to start um, building the largest lithium mines and continue on with other lithium mines in the state of Nevada, then um, our traditional homelands of the Paiute, Shoshone, and Washoe people of Nevada are going to be looking at a wasteland and the destruction and the continuation of genocide on indigenous 
indigenous peoples and their cultural, their traditional cultural properties. I want to say a little bit about electric cars. Is it really green energy? We're talking about a mining. We're talking about mining 12,000 acres, 400 feet down of an open pit mine that's going to be spewing fossil fuels. You know, when you do a when you conduct mining for every pound of the battery, around 60 pounds of ore is going to be need to be mined, transported and processed. That's going to build on fossil fuels, fossil fuels, which is coal and oil and gas. We're not even talking about the water that's going to be taking um, and destroying um, the earth over here for lithium mining. All the mining requires um, and repollutes huge amounts of water. It's going to produce one ton of lithium. Um, that requires up to 500,000 gallons of water. We're already in a drought over here in the Great Basin. We haven't even talked about the fossil fuels or the processing that's going to take place, that's going to make these batteries out of lithium. You know, I just read um, that, you know, manufacturing an electric car releases up to 16 tons of greenhouse gases. Switching to passenger electric vehicles would only reduce overall U.S. emissions by around 5%. So um, electric cars is not going to save us. It's not going to save the planet. It's not going to save the earth and it's not going to save the people because not everybody is going to be able to afford an electric vehicle, specifically not myself as an indigenous person. All right. And I've, I've been following the, the movement on the Facebook to protect Pihimuha Facebook. And I think our friend Max Wilbert was recently quoted by somebody there saying Thacker Pass is not a long term solution for the people of the region. It's a mine that plans to come in, destroy the area for 50 years, and then leave behind a toxic land and water for generations after that. And like Michonne, you just said, we didn't even touch on the water. I did get in that into a, um, a previous interview, which I will post on our website, kpfaapprentice.org after the show, so you could hear our other interviews on Thacker Pass. But Michonne, what would you like and the Reno Sparks Indian colony and people you've talked to like to see out there in that beautiful space, that wide open space, that sacred space, the space where these tragedies have occurred. What would you like to see out there? Yeah. You know, I'd like to see it pristine and left alone. We don't need to go out there to dig and mine just for a few corporations to make money and for a few people to drive um, electric vehicles thinking they're doing good by saving the earth. We, I want that place left alone. It's important as a traditional cultural property that it be left alone, the eagles be left alone, the eagle and their family and their nests be left alone. I want the sage grouse, the great sage grouse to continue their mating rituals out there to live their lives and only and not to disturb their area. I'd like to continue to go out there and conduct ceremonies and sing our songs and acknowledge that our ancestors are buried there. I would like to see it left alone. I would like to see our people out there gathering. We went out there, the Reno Sparks Indian Colony tribal members, a few of our tribal council members, and we took the youth group out there, teenagers and young people. Um, we stayed the whole day. We hiked around. We got to see a lot. We got to hear a lot. Um, they, we 
we're able to visit these places and understand where the medicines were. And I would like for that to continue on for the generations to come, that these places be left alone. And that because we have a big United States with a lot of, well, we have a big, beautiful world with a lot of knowledgeable expert um, scientists. And we can only figure out that we need to mine to make batteries to, um, to save the earth. That just doesn't seem appropriate or well. So I want um, Pihimaha left alone so that we can continue to practice our traditional customs and to continue to protect our culture. We want it left alone. That is the voice of Mashan. I'm blanking on your last name. Oh, that's okay. Mashan Eben. I manage the cultural resource program and I'm the tribal historic preservation officer for the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. I am a tribal member and I'm a resident and I, um, um, a descendant of Paiute and Shoshone people. All right. Well, tell us how can folks follow what's happening at Pihimaha and how can they support? Well, um, I guess two resources for following along are um, uh, the website protectthackerpass.org um, and also Protect Thacker Pass uh, on, on Facebook. Um, but, and then also you can, you can follow the Reno Sparks Indian Colony, um, the Reno Sparks Indian Colony uh, public relations um, um, employees have have taken a, a big st- a step to publicize what's going on and, and have been doing great work um, providing um, the Reno Sparks Indian Colony's perspective on on what's going on. Um, but um, I guess uh, you know usually when when I'm asked that question, people people want to like how how can we help when people ask me that question. And, and usually I think people want to hear something like, you know, they can go like the Protect Thacker Pass Facebook page or they can donate some money. And all of that stuff really, really helps. Of course, I'm not discouraging that, but I would, I would really ask listeners to, to um, take a second and, and think about what it would happen, what would happen if they, they really do turn Nevada into a sacrifice zone for for electric car batteries, and 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 that is what they want to do. There's already another massive mine on the or- on Oregon side of the Oregon Nevada border. They're going to call it the McDermott Lithium Mine um, by another uh, sacred place called Disaster Peak in that area. And the reason I'm saying this is what we're going up against is is a whole government that's that's dead set on simply shifting the the energy that they profit from you know as as fossil fuels are used up and these big corporations realize that they can make profit somewhere else they're they're not going to go mine to save the planet they're going to go mine to make money um, and that's going to that's going to destroy what's left of the natural world um, and it's going to take a massive and very well organized movement to resist this um, especially when you have things like the Biden administration designated lithium as, a, as an important mineral for national security. That's all code talk for we're going to use the war to justify um, destroying more, more of the land. Um, and so how can people help? My, my very basic straightforward answer is, you know, sit and think about what's going on. Look into your own heart and, and, and figure out how brave you can be in, in resisting this. Um, because it's going to take a massive effort to, to make sure that, that they don't destroy what's left in the natural world. Thank you for that, uh, Will. And Will is 
one of the co-founders of Protect Thacker Pass. He's also um, a lawyer who's helping litigate this case. And I guess I'll leave the last words for you, Mashan. What would you like people to go away with about um, Pihi Muha and what's in the future? Is there like going to be direct action out there or are we going to have to all get out there and get in the way? Um, what do you see happening in the future and what do you want people to know? You know, I can't um, really look into the future, but I think Will said it very well that we need to start taking a look at what this green energy really means. Is it really saving the planet or is it really about um, a few folks and a few corporations making a lot of money? So what I would really like to see is that everybody that all our listeners and all our people please stay tuned on protectthackerpass.org and the reno sparks in the colonies um, social media because um, i can't really say at this moment what specifically we can do um, because i'm asking you to go to protect thacker pass and reno sparks in the colony social media because that's where we're going to tell you what to do that's not me as one person deciding for a whole federally recognized sovereign nation of what needs to take place but in my heart, what needs to take place is that we need to all rally and really take a look at it and not believe these um, th these this green energy lies that are being toted to us. Because again, it is affecting indigenous um, people's traditional cultural places. So stay tuned. What I wish was not happening out there is that that's why we um, we did the 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 press release. The Reno Sparks Indian Colony released the press release, and we released our seven page letter to Far Western Anthropological Research Group is, look, although you have been sanctioned by the federal government to go out and um, and excavate our culture, remind uh, we wanted to remind them, like, you did this without the participation. You wrote your, your reports and you wrote your um, treatment plans without the participation of any federally recognized tribe or the Paiute or Shoshone people. And that's an atrocity in itself. And also, too, that um, asking Far Western to look at their own ethical and professional code of standards, like, should you really be out there? Should you really be out there just to be Make a profit um, or should you really be out there and really take a look at what's really going on out there and it's bigger and broader than just having an excavation report or a final report finalized and maybe a little bit of authoring a book and and um, highlighting the, their excavation but they really need to take a look about um, what's happening in the whole world um, and why this whole world is needing to rethink um, mining activities and and I also want to say you know thank you. Thank you to all the media outlets that are really reaching out to us. Um, I really want to see more media. And I thank you, Franklin, for having us on here because you guys are the voice. You, The people listen to the media. And when you have us on um, and you're interviewing us, it really it gets our word out. It gets the word out and, and what needs to be taking place out there, what not needs to be taking place out there. And you're hearing um, from the first people, the indigenous people. So thank you for having us. Definitely just doing our part out here as part of the the media that wants to spread the information for you. And again, a reminder to all our listeners, we will have uh, links to all the websites that were just mentioned, the Reno Sparks Indian Colony, the Protect Thacker Pass website, Facebook page, and the press release, and any other documents that these two folks um, send us, we will post online on our website, 
kpfaapprentice.org just after the show tonight. So, as my guest, uh, Michonne, just said, stay tuned for uh, more information. Go to the website, uh, Protect Thacker Pass, Protect Pihimuha, uh, the Facebook, and uh, help out where you can. Again, um, thank you, Michonne, for joining us. Thank you for having us. And again, thank you, Will, for being here tonight to help us with some of these legal terminologies as well. Absolutely. My pleasure. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Be sure to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for links and information related to all the movements we talked about tonight. Let me give a big shout out to my special guest tonight, Michonne Eben and Will Falk. And of course, the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And again, me, Freewell and Franklin. I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle. And I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, while you're out there, please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA because you know what's next. La Onda Bajita. Good night, everyone. <laughs>